being hard-hearted is much more serious than not crying at the end of Hallmark movies. Being hard-hearted steals a spiritual rest from the Christian who is hard-hearted. It may be news for some of us that Christians, true Christians, certainly can get hard hearts. We're looking this morning together at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 19, and just to see how believers can get hard hearts, look at verse 12. Jump into the passage with me at 12. Take care, brethren, that is believers, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. Yes, a true Christian is capable of having a hardened heart. And when a truly born-again person does get a hardened heart, then that person misses out on a wonderful provision, a wonderful plan and a gift that God has for his own children. That is the gift of spiritual rest. Look at verse 11 in our passage, please. Now referring to the ancient nation of Israel in history. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. As Lord and as Savior and as life, Jesus Christ gives us a wonderful offered blessing. And the blessing that Jesus gives to his own followers is found in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Let these invitations wash over your soul if you find yourself restless. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. What a, what a wonderful blessing that is the normal Christian life, that we could have this spiritual rest in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our life. But sometimes our hearts can get too hard to actually experience that promised rest. And on this topic of hard hearts, it would be a mistake to think that only lost persons have hard hearts. Believers, as I've been saying, believers like us, we can get hard hearts too. Remember verse 12, address brethren, take care brethren, lest there should be any one of you, in any one of you, an evil unbelieving heart and falling away from the living God. In this particular scripture passage, the Holy Spirit is warning all Christians who read it not to let their hearts get hard. Now I want to read the whole passage so you get the flow of what the Lord is saying to us in Hebrews 3, 7 and 19. Hear the word of God. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12, take care, brethren. That's you and me listening, viewing, 
brothers and sisters, that's us. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all of those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. In two places in the passage I have just read, unbelief comes to the forefront. Let's focus on verse 19. And so we see that they, that is the children of Israel who came out of the exodus in Egypt, and were on the cusp, the brink, the front door of the promised land. And so we see that they were not able to enter rest of the promised land because of their unbelief. And do you know what their unbelief looked like? When the 12 spies came back from the promised land, reported its fruitfulness and its bounty and its fortifications and its forts, fortresses, and its Anakim and its giants and its strong warriors, only Caleb and Joshua recommended to the camp of the Israelites that they in God's strength and enablement could take the promised land and enter into the rest that God had for them, designed for them, planned for them in the promised land. But they looked at it and said, we can't take that promised land and get rest. We can't get rest for ourselves. We can't defeat those fortresses. We can't get ourselves in the promised land. Those guys in there are bigger than us. And their unbelief left them outside of the promised land with its rest that the Lord had planned for them. We read about these Episodes of unbelief that God chastened and punished and had a generation wander around the wilderness for 40 years until that generation passed away and it was their children and their grandchildren who got the rest God had for them in the promised land. The fact that Israel of old missed out on the rest God had for them in the promised land is a foreshadowing how it is for the church. Nowadays, we can think that the only way we have acceptance and rest with God is by performing, and I'll get to that a little later in this message. And so let me, for the first part here, say that there are two ways, basically, that human hearts can harden. In the first case, God hardens some unbelievers' hearts as a judgment. God does the hardening of the heart, like in Exodus 4, 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power, but, God says, I will harden his, Pharaoh's heart, so that he will not let the people go. One way that a human heart gets hardened for unbelievers is that God hardens it as a judgment. There is a second way that hearts 
can become hardened. And this way is that believers in God, believers in Christ, followers of Jesus, harden our own hearts. Most of the Jews who made the exodus out of Egypt hardened their own hearts. Look at verse 7 in our passage. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, they didn't hear his voice. They hardened their own hearts. Or verse 8, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They go astray in their heart, away from the capabilities, the power, and the promises of God. That's why they miss the rest of the promised land. Verse 11, and I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. The believers of the ancient nation of Israel who did not get into the promised land as a judgment from God because they thought they had to get into the promised land in their own smarts, their own strengths, their own military strategies, whereas God was going to defeat all those uh, Canaanites and Amorites, etc. But they only looked at their own resources. They only looked at their own smarts and strength. They concluded they couldn't do it. And God said, you're going to miss the rest I have for you in the promised land. You're going to die in the wilderness because you've hardened your own hearts toward me. Will you notice how they did that? Because it's often how we do it today. They hardened their own hearts by provoking God. That's verse 8a. By testing God. That's verse 9. By going astray from God. That's verse 10, part A. And by not knowing the ways of God. That was verse 10, part B. Now, now, if I'm honest with you, that sounds an awful lot like how I can be. And maybe you can relate to this. I can harden my own heart in a heartbeat by provoking God, testing God, going astray from God, and not knowing the ways of God. That's how I can harden my heart, and it's the ways that you can harden your hearts, but neither of us should do it. And I'd just like to say that hardening your own heart as a Christian is as easy as falling off a log It is so easy, is it not, to doubt him, to demand more revelation from him than his completed Bible, to deviate from his revealed will as found in his word, to be in the dark about his ways because we're satisfied to be in the dark about his word? Oh, it's so easy for me to harden my heart. And maybe you can relate that it's easy you have found for you to harden your hearts. So ancient Israel provoked God tested God, went astray from God, didn't know God's ways. When you look at some of the churches in the ancient Mediterranean basin at the end of the New Testament, the seven churches of Asia Minor, literal churches, five out of the seven had a hardened heart problem, and none of the five with a hardened heart problem had it because God hardened their hearts. The five that had hardened hearts had all hardened their own hearts. Very quickly, Ephesus They had the hardened heart of a loss of a first love for Jesus. Pergamum, that church had a hardened heart of a compromising and a receiving of false teaching. Thyatira had the hardened heart of corruption. Sardis, the hardened heart of spiritual dullness and spiritual sleepiness, grogginess. And Laodicea had the hardened heart of spiritual lukewarmness. And what? was the cost 
of hardening their hearts in those five ancient churches at the end of the New Testament? Listen carefully. They each missed out on on God's rest. Missing out on God's rest in Christ was the price that those five churches paid. And these believers in those five ancient churches that hardened their own hearts experienced a lack of spiritual rest. Because you can't have Christ's spiritual rest if you have a hardened heart. And so, going back to the Old Testament true story of Israel out of Egypt, they're fresh out of, they were fresh out of Egypt. They witnessed all the plagues which God did as miracles to get the Pharaoh's attention to get them out of Egypt's slavery. And they were those who walked through the parted Red Sea waters. What a miracle that was. And they missed out the rest God had planned for them in the promised land because they thought it depended on them, not God, to get into the promised land. And a whole generation of Jews, of complaining Jews, doubting Jews, hard-hearted Jews, died in that wilderness over those 40 years, were buried in the sand. The nation was as big as one million at that point in their history. And if you divide one million who had to basically die in 40 years in which they died, approximately 68 funerals a day for 40 years. And is this not the topic of verses 16 to 19 again? For who provoked him when they heard? Indeed, did not all those come out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter the rest because of their unbelief, we might say, because of their overconfidence in themselves and their lack of confidence in their God. And that lost rest for the hard-hearted nation of Israel fresh out of Egypt was a tragedy. And as is the lost rest for any church today, any collection of believers in whom the Holy Spirit of God indwells each of us Permanently, we have a completed Bible, Genesis to Revelation. No more revelation is coming. We have it all. All that God wants us to have, we have in our hands and our hearts. And it's such a tragedy, therefore, if the church of Jesus Christ in this time and place tries to do it our way, chops God down, elevates ourselves works feverishly to fail, where God just simply wanted us to trust him and obey. When a believer is convinced that they're on some kind of a treadmill of demanding performance-based acceptance to God, they only are accepted to God if they perform in certain churchy ways, certain religious ways, then that poor Christian 
thinks that he or she needs to earn God's approval by something that he or she can do for God. Performing to please God is not the spiritual rest in Christ spoken of in the New Testament. In fact, the person who falls into this mix-up or this confusion, the person who is a Christian but missing Christ's rest is due to a missing out on Christ's grace. And the person who falls into that sad situation, maybe as a victim, they mistranslate Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. They mistranslate Jesus' words. They mess them up to say, Jesus saying, work for me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you more work. To please me, take my yoke upon you and slave for me because my heart is aggressive and driven and you will find long to-do lists for your souls. For my yoke is hard and my load is overwhelming. You're going to have to prove yourself to me and it won't be easy. It breaks my heart to read that mistranslation. But it breaks my heart even more when I come across a precious brother or sister in Christ who really is living that way, really carrying out their Christian duties with that outlook. But that's not, that's not the truth. The truth is that we have our acceptance with God Almighty because of what Jesus Christ performed on the cross, what Jesus Christ performed in his sinless life and ministry before the crucifixion. We are accepted in the beloved. We aren't accepted in our righteous acts. We may try as hard as we want, but that's not what is going to achieve acceptance for us with the Father. His grace, the finished work of Christ, the indwelling Holy Spirit creating a a love for the Lord and a desire to serve the Lord, that's what adds up. I think always when I teach about performance-based acceptance and how it's not true and how it's slavery and how lived long enough it will make you a rebel, I think of Jesus' famous parable of the prodigal son. You know it well. The youngest boy went to his daddy, asked for his inheritance before the daddy died, took all the money, went to a far-off country, spent all the money on riotous living, was eating the pig slop for the pigs that he was caring for on someone else's farm, came to his senses, decided that maybe he'd go back home and be a hired hand at his daddy's farm, came back to repent, Father sees him on the horizon. When he's far off, runs to him. Ancient Near Eastern men never ran to anybody. Not considered dignified. But the father's love was so intense. The father's acceptance was so big that he ran to this returning son, embraced him, kissed him, put his own robe on him, his own ring on the boy, and said, let's have a party. But there was an older son in the story. A brother, an older brother to the repentant prodigal. He was living, I would say, under performance-based acceptance with his father, who is a picture of God. And you know what he said. He comes in from the fields and doing his chores as a farmer, and he doesn't know his brother's back yet, and he hears the party noise, and basically he says, what's that party noise? And they tell him it's a party because his kid brother's come home and been forgiven, and daddy's having a barbecue to celebrate his kid brother being home. He says, I'm furious, and I won't join the party. Look, 
He said to his father, look, for so many years I've been slaving for you. See, that tells you what his attitude was. He wasn't working to bless his daddy because he loved his daddy, to share in the profits of his daddy. He was seeing as being a slave, something he had to do that he resented doing. And then after he said, for so many years I've been slaving for you, he goes on to say, I've failed to do zero of your commands for me. There wasn't a farm list that I didn't do every item. I ticked all the boxes. You're having a party for him? In fact, the brother was so angry, he couldn't bring himself to call his brother my brother. He said, this son of yours. (laughs) That's what happens to any of us. If for long enough, we think we have to be on a treadmill and do certain spiritual hoops to jump through to be acceptable to God. Jesus jumped through all the hoops necessary. And when we're in him, we're accepted in the beloved. It's like God the Father took the robe of Jesus Christ's righteousness and threw it around the shoulders of each of us who trusted Jesus to be Lord and Savior in life. And now when God looks at you and when God looks at me, he doesn't look at at a to-do list, a a, a checkoff list of what God wanted done on Monday by you. But instead he looks at an accepted, loved, adopted, forgiven, joint heir with his son, Jesus Christ. Performance-based acceptance poisons a Christian's outlook and his attitude and his relationships. As I pointed out, this big brother in the prodigal son parable, did you hear his unhappiness? Did you hear his anger, his self-righteousness, his pride? Did you hear his perfectionism? Did you hear his comparison? Did you hear his superiority? Did you hear his ungratefulness? Did you hear his dismissal of his brother as even being his brother still? Did you hear his lack of love when you scratched under the surface, his lack of love for his daddy and for his younger brother? That's pretty ugly stuff. That's performance-based acceptance. But let's, let's flip it here. That's bad news. Let's go to some great news. The good news is that we can have soft hearts that understand Christ-based acceptance. If hard hearts go hand-in-hand with performance-based acceptance, then soft hearts go hand-in-hand with Christ-based acceptance. And we all can have soft hearts. We all can know Christ's rest. You say, Pastor, you have no idea what I have to do in a day, especially during this COVID thing. You have no idea my to-do list. No, I don't. But I know you can have Christ's rest in the middle of your to-do list, making everything you do a matter of prayer and an attitude of worship. And so this wonderful contrast to performance-based acceptance is Christ-based acceptance. And what is it? Christ-based acceptance is knowing that you are accepted to God in Christ. Believing that you are accepted to God in Christ. Resting in the fact that you are accepted to God in Christ. Serving God, but not to be accepted by God. 
Christ-based acceptance is serving because you are accepted to God. Living a thank you kind of life to the one who's accepted you. It's not trying out for acceptance with God. Christ-based acceptance is living for him based on the acceptance you already have. Christ-based acceptance is living a thank you kind of Christian life. Not a, is this good enough Christian life? Dear brother or sister viewing today, is Christ-based acceptance the rest that you must conclude that you've been lacking, but that you're wanting? You can come into Christ-based acceptance this morning. I invite you, Jesus invites you to do so. I want to tell you about somebody. I want to tell you about somebody that I know very well. He had a hardened heart and was living under a performance-based acceptance with God, but those that knew him best didn't know. This person I know was studying at the Word of Life Bible Institute. He was memorizing scripture. He was doing Christian ministry each week. He was even counseling other Word of Life Bible Institute students in his dorm. He was having a daily quiet time in the Word with prayer, and he was keeping all the rules. He was not a problem to anyone except to himself. His grades were high. His prayer life was admired by many who looked in on it from the outside. On the outside, at least, this man appeared to have it all spiritually together. But it was different on his inside. He actually had no rest. He was always in his mind running on a treadmill that was going faster and faster and faster where he had to do more things the right way to gain approval from God. And his spiritual restlessness had a few faces to it. He battled against God's will for him because underneath the veneer of compliance, he had a better idea, he thought, than God did for his life. He got involved in the lives of so many others at the Bible Institute because he didn't want them to get involved in his life. He wanted it to be a one-way street where he was in control. And he was constantly nervous. He was nervous about how he was being perceived, about any mistake he might make, about adequately uh, knowing and doing God's will. He was nervous about failing. He was nervous about doing enough to be what was required. In fact, he was, he was nervous about everything. Eventually, something had to give with this guy. He was on this treadmill of performance-based acceptance Christianity and Something had to give, and eventually what gave was his mind. And once his mind started to give way, his heart did too. And he fell into periods of episodes of panic, panic attacks. He got good at hiding them, though. He didn't want any negative attention. He didn't want to admit weakness or struggle. He didn't want to know the root issue 
He didn't want to be on anybody else's prayer list. His panic attacks eventually negatively impacted his physical heart. It started to race and irregularly beat. In his episodes of tachycardia and arrhythmia, if they were bad enough, they left him faint and lightheaded. And if they were bad enough, he passed out. But he appeared to be fine. He did all the right Christian things, but his spiritual heart was not fine. It was hardened. His spiritual heart thought that rest was a dirty word. This man's hardened spiritual heart left his physical pumping heart malfunctioning. Because of his poor health, he withdrew from the Word of Life Bible Institute to seek medical attention. He got that attention, and his heart doctor told him that his physical heart was fine, but it was responding to inappropriate stress-related messages to beat faster and faster. The problem wasn't the fist-sized blood pump in the man's chest. The problem was the stress that was put on that fist-sized blood pump in his chest due to spiritual problems he had. The spiritual problem of thinking that he had to do all these things to perform for God, to be loved by God, to be accepted by God. And the spiritual problem of a hardened spiritual heart due to having this performance-based understanding assumption that he could only be truly accepted and loved by God if he worked hard for God. I know this Christian man very well because he was me. That was when I was a 23-year-old student at the Word of Life Bible Institute in Scroon Lake, New York. You know, to be honest with you, really when I was going through what I was going through historically with you in these minutes, I got tired almost upset reviewing it, rehearsing it. Please, don't get a hardened heart. Please, don't believe the lie that you're on a performance-based acceptance with God. Instead, cultivate a soft heart a heart that receives the grace of God in the Son of God, a heart that realizes that nothing you could do to serve God will make him love you more than he already does, a softened heart that believes that nothing you could do could cause God to love you any less than he already does. That's when Jesus' yoke is easy and Jesus' burden is light for you. I remember I told someone around that time I was reviewing in my life that I didn't think that Jesus' yoke was easy or his burden was light. And I thought, you know, well, there's a bold uh, disagreement with Scripture. And the person smiled and said, no, it's just that you're not yoked to the right person. 
Christ's yoke is easy and Christ's burden is light, but you have yoked yourself up to yourself. And that's how your yoke is hard and your burden is heavy. Soft heart, Christ-based acceptance, the grace of God that saves and the grace of God that keeps you saved and the grace of God that sees you through the ups and downs of your sanctification process until you see this one who accepts you face to face. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are for this lesson in the hard versus the soft heart, the restless versus the restful believer, performance-based acceptance lie, Christ-based acceptance truth. For all those viewing, Lord, who are at various places in their Christian walk, may this message give them spiritual rest and may their spiritual rest be contagious to those that love and see them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.